Genius, it takes a lot to get on my show Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance You like long walks and you wear clean pants Genius, get on to my show Howdy folks! Well, I'm back in the saddle again with Living with a Genius interviews. It's been about two years, I think, since my last interview, and coupled with very little face-to-face human contact over this last year, and I was a little unsure about how it would all come off. But here we are with today's guest, founding director of vocal arts at the California School of the Arts, Catherine Powers. I've known Catherine for a few years now as a both a singing colleague and as the fellow director at Orchestra Los Angeles, which I co-founded with her and her husband, Michael. We get at it in this chat, everything from her background as an actress and singer to her role in running an arts conservatory and even into the esoterics of teaching, singing, and music in general. I hope you enjoy our conversation, and as always, thanks for listening. I can't. I still can't believe I am having twins. It just I can't. Die. It's amazing. Like every day. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I'm so happy for you guys. It, it's oh, just okay. terrific. And you know, you've gotten a lot of practice with Luke, and you've got. I think. I think you're going to be better <laughs> like, off. Where are you going? A lot of practice, like all the sex we've been having. Like, yeah, a lot, lots and like, lots. Where's that going? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, practice to a certain degree. Certainly. Um, yeah. I haven't spent a lot of time in my life with newborns, so that'll definitely be a crash course. So I'm doing two at once to just try to make up for it and catch up. So it kind of it kind of takes care of it. It takes care of itself. I mean, it's it's amazing. The first when we had Will, I, you know, I was pretty calm. I, I'm you know I'm an only child, and so I'm used to getting all the attention, and I, I'm a little bit self centered and. And I remember, um, <laughs> I remember when when we had Will, we were in the hospital, and the whole time leading up to that, I was doing all the things. I was exercising like mm-hmm. seven days mm-hmm. a week, I think. I was in really good shape. Mm-hmm. I was saving my money, but then I was also like really stressed out because I wasn't sure about how my career was going to go, how we were going to afford it, all the all these yeah. things. And then, and then we had Will in the in the in the delivery room, and and they put Will on Amy's chest and he like latched on and started breastfeeding like almost right away. And then this weird thing happened where I thought, oh, like this has been happening for hundreds of thousands of years. This is a thing that humans do. Like you can, yeah, yeah, like you can have a baby anywhere and this, and it's (laughs) really, and like you can feed it and you can, and then everything just kind of, you just kind of figure it out as it's this very slow evolution. Mm-hmm. And now, like, my career's good and the house is in shape and we, we have, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like all the things that I yeah. couldn't visualize happening realistically have all, like, fallen into place. So, you know, you, you figure it out a little, a little bit at a time. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you yeah. just wake up one day and kind of like that Talking head song, you know, like, where did this come from? You just wake up one day and, and you know, you have you have all the stuff. I don't know. You figure it yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, I see that evolution happening for us in like the last few years with my job, and now Michael's got his job, and we just moved to a bigger place for the twins, and and uh, and, and my life is unrecognizable from where it was six years ago. Like it's totally different. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that for a second. When when I first met you, 
I think you came over to to our house when Liz and Nelson were living here, and you and Liz yes. sat in the downstairs room where the fireplace yes. is and and kind of caught up. Talk about a former life. That's where I knew Liz from from like my my schmactory days. Yeah. What? Yeah. When what I was acting? What? Yeah. Okay. So let's. Yeah. So just so you know, this interview started, by the way. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so um, let's go. Let's go back to. Um, let me just turn down my mic. I think I just. Ha ha. Yeah. Okay. It's a little loud. Ma. Hey. <laughs> so yeah. So I'm trying to figure this out. This is, by the way, just um, for those of you watching, this is my first Zoom interview ever, and I, I haven't done an interview in. Gosh, probably a year and a half, maybe two years, which I used to do one every week for I have 90, wow. 91 or 92 interviews already. And I've uh, listened to many of them. I'm, yeah, I'm quite honored. One. So I hope I know how to talk I'm to quite people. Honored. And, yeah, talk to people. And, and it's been a year since I've been in front of anybody. So I don't know. But you've got a really good gambit, though, because I think your interviewees are always wondering, am I the genius? Or is <laughs> I can, That's boom. The exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could ask that a lot, actually. Um, I know, and you've got a very clever answer. I forget what it was, but it was non-committal. I do remember. Well, I that. forget what it was too. So we'll make yes. something up on the way. Um, so, so yeah, let's talk about how. What What were you doing before you got into music? How did you get into music? Why did you get into music? Um, were your parents musical? I mean, did it start there? How, what's the story? Gosh, it was kind of an accident. Um, my parents were in uh, television production. My mom and dad were both um, producers. And then my father was a writer and my mom was a director. And uh, so at 10 years old, I decided that I wanted to be an actor. So my mom took some pictures of me herself and sent pictures to agents and one of them picked me up. And I, my first audition was for a Jell-O commercial. It was when Jell-O first came out with the little cups of sure. pre-made Jell-O. They were called sure. Jigglers. And everybody asked me this. No, Bill Cosme was not in this commercial. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I that was my first audition and I booked it. And I was just like totally hooked from 10 years old um, acting. Was this um, in, was this in Canada? Was it? Yeah, yeah. Here? This was in Toronto. Uh -huh. Yeah, I grew up in Toronto, so um, I just I just really liked being on set. I just thought it was so fun and and uh, interesting, and I was kind of precocious and talkative, and you know, liked sort of feeling like one of the adults. And you know, on set they they treat the kids both as very special, but also like you're there to do a job. So sure. it just felt. I just really liked it. So I went to a high school for the uh, school for the arts. I started in seventh grade or grade seven, as we say in Canada. Sure. And I went in the drama program and I was there for two years. I was still auditioning. And um, so this is how I got interested in music. It was a total fluke on Remembrance Day, which is Veterans Day here. This is November 11th, which happens to be my birthday. So it felt particularly auspicious. <laughs> there was a we have like a uh, an assembly you know and the the choir sang the song called in remembrance so like canadians were poppies you know little poppy pins sure. on remembrance day and they talk about flanders fields and there was this beautiful song this a cappella song that the choir sang and i just i just remember being like i want to do that i just thought it was so beautiful it was i still remember the song um it was absolutely exquisite. And so on a total whim, I auditioned for the music program and I got in. I didn't really have any, I think I played a little piano. I didn't have much training. 
and I had a great teacher. I had one of those teachers, right. you know. So she, uh, we entered the Kiwanis Festival every year, which is the big music festival in Toronto, and our choir won first place. Like, like all of our choirs, our women's choir, our men's choir, our small choir, like we always won first place. So um, I kind of took it for granted at the time, but looking back, I was like, damn, like she was probably a really good teacher. Yeah. Um, her name is Gloria Gossi, and we're still connected. I actually just gave a master class to her students at Western University over Zoom, and it was like this amazing full circle. Oh, that's true. I actually wrote to her. I was like, please let me give you a, a master class for free. If you'll consider, I would be so honored. And she was like, of course. And it was it was awesome. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I fell in love with music, uh, but I was still acting, and I just... I just never occurred to me um, to that music was like a career. Um, yeah, was, isn't that funny? That's pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like, yeah you know, people ask whenever I say, oh, I'm an opera singer, sometimes I say 50% of the time. They either say something about Phantom of the Opera or they say, like, <laughs> or they say, what else do yeah. you do? You know, like. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. A Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, definitely got it. Or, or oh. Cats is my favorite opera, or you yeah. know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. something that's not an opera, and you just have, to, and you don't want to be a jerk, so you're mm -hmm. like, mm, love cats. I do love cats, actually. It's not an opera, um, and I hate cats anyway. Yeah, right. Actually, my cat is like circling me like a shark right now. Um, yeah, I was just really obsessed with acting. You know, I wanted, I wanted to move to LA and be a film actor. That's what I wanted. And I was adamant that I did not go to college. I only wanted to go to acting conservatory. I remember very vividly being like, I don't want to have to study English and history. Blech, I just want to study acting. And now, you know, I spent, I ended up spending most of my twenties in, in school, which is ironic, but sure. So I moved to LA at 18 to go to theater school. I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Now, did you have a job I, lined up or how did you, I mean, how did you do it? Just... No, I was Canadian, so I couldn't even work. You know, I was on a right. student visa. So by the grace of my parents who paid for it, sure, that's how I did it. Yeah, sure. I work studied. I worked in the uh, first first year. I um, I got to stage manage the company shows. So the third year was this company of actors that you had to be invited to be part of, which I actually ended up doing in my third year. But my first year, I stage managed, and I actually really liked it. It, it appealed to my like type A. Yeah, I can see you being very good at that. Yeah. <laughs> I can take that as a compliment. <laughs> it is. It, it, please yeah, do. No. I, I would be terrible at it. People would be getting no, hurt I left mean... and right, missing their entrances. So I'd be awful at it. <laughs> no, I mean, I was so type A. I, I devised a, a, a little uh, procedure in which if the actors like flubbed or missed a line during rehearsal, I had like a little form that was like page, line, and I would write the lines that they had missed and then like pass them out to the actors at the end of the rehearsal. They actually really appreciated yeah, it. Yeah, um, it's better than sitting was... there for an hour and a half uh, taking notes, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was so not my job, though. I mean, I knew nothing about stage management, really. I just made it up. But um, I enjoyed that. Then I got to work in the costume department in the second year. I spent hours making Elizabethan ruffs, you know, which sure. ended up never being used for some reason. They canceled the Shakespeare show, but um, that's time consuming. Yeah. And then, um, so this is the fluke. This is how I got into singing as a profession. I got invited through some connection. You know who it was? This brings it back to Liz. So I did, I auditioned for this musical that Liz was directing. 
and I met a guy named Algernon Damasa, who was my Whoa, leading name. man. He was great. He was an actor and a Buddhist monk. And uh, he was a lovely man. He actually ended up marrying my husband, my ex-husband and myself. Um, <laughs> he was a great guy. He now lives in New Mexico and he's uh, a father and he uh, is a journalist in New Mexico. He's a really interesting, very cool man. He was my um, sort of love interest in Liz's musical. And he was part of a group that sang madrigals at the Theatricum Botanicum in Topeka Canyon. I don't know if you know this place. It's I like don't. the, the it's called oh, the that, Theatricum Botanicum outdoor theater yes. where they do Shakespeare in the summer. Yes, yeah, I went and looked Shakespeare. at that as a as a wedding venue when we were looking for places to get married. Yes, we looked, it's it's yeah, we went Lovely. up and looked at that. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. It's in Topanga Canyon. They do Shakespeare all summer, and uh, we we would like dress up in Renaissance garb and sing madrigals for an hour before in like ninety five degree heat. By the way, uh, sure. before the shows, and and it was just fun to sing again. I had really missed it because I did love it in high school. Through that group, um, we got hired to, to sing a high holiday service. And as you know, as any opera singer know, knows who does the high holidays, that is a marathon, a marathon, right? The Rosh Hashanah and the Yom Kippur yep, is like days, eight hours of yes, singing. Yeah, days right. and the days are long. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think I was 21 or 22 maybe. And I just didn't have the stamina to sing for eight hours. So... I sang, I guess this was Yom Kippur because this was the second weekend. I sang all day and I woke up the next morning and I had to do the next day and I woke up with nothing, like sure. no voice. And I, you know, drank hot tea and tried, just tried my best to get through it and, and uh, barely made it through the rest of that day. And probably would have been fine if I had just rested, but I was also working as a personal trainer at Gold's Gym. This is what actors would do. You'd get a job as a personal trainer because it's flexible, right? Sure. I've had so many careers. I was a sword fighter. I mean, when I was acting, I was sword fighting, personal training. It was like a totally different life. Me too. Me too. Same it, thing. Yeah. You sword fighting, personal training? Come on. Well, I never, never personal <laughs> training, but I used to fence. Come on. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. I Are you serious? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still have your foils? Sure. Come on, I have no, them in my trunk. Fact, we should do it. <laughs> yeah, no. As a matter of fact, my son, when he was, uh, he's eight now, Will William, and when he was, I think, four or five, he found my foil in the garage and made us enroll him into fencing classes because he was That's just cool. so. Yeah, it was really fun. You and like then, it? of course, well, he started getting, you know, tagged and he was out. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. So it lasted yeah. about no, a year. Yeah, I mean, just about a year. He, he did okay. It's like physical chess, you know. It's yes, like uh, I love fencing. So we did fencing. I worked at a company called Swordplay. So there, it was like an actual fencing studio where people would train for like Olympic style fencing. But then they had sure. a whole team of stage combatants for film sure. and television. And I that was connected through theater school because their people were teaching our stage combat classes, and I really loved stage yeah. combat. Um. So uh, I went back to work at the gym all week, horse. Yeah. And by and gyms are so loud. And I was training. And by the end of the week, I had like this vice feeling around my throat, like this ache. And this ache was constant. And it hurt so much to talk. It just hurt even if I wasn't talking, but it really hurt to talk. And it didn't go away for six months. And I was just... I was despondent. I was lost. I mean, you I went, went to, to a doctor, ENT. right? Yeah. What, I went to an ENT. Say? There's nothing wrong with my cords. They couldn't find anything wrong. 
I mean, looking back, knowing what I know now, studying voice, teaching, I mean, it was obvious I had a muscular strain. You know, I was mm -hmm. clearly using the, you know, probably the my tendons SCMs the, were yeah, active, sure. the mm -hmm. tendons and my laryngeal <laughs> elevators were like mm -hmm. in my nose and like everything was just tight and I just didn't have any other tools to support my speaking voice. So these muscles were just in this constant pattern of strain. But nobody told me that. I even went to a speech um, pathologist for a few sessions and even they didn't seem to like grok on it and i've seen students now in my private studio and when a student comes in and tells me that they have pain and i see them speaking or singing i mean it's so clear to me and i wish that i had seen somebody who was like oh yeah i know what's going on like it was so mm -hmm. clear mm -hmm. um not at the time so what do you do what do you do as a as a singing as a voice teacher to to work to clear that up for somebody well, something has to carry the energetic load of the voice, you know, mm -hmm. so uh, if it's not, uh, people will do what's instinctive and what's usually instinctive is supporting with basically anything from here up or, right. you know, right. yeah, you know, using using the muscles of the neck um, and the throat and constricting mm -hmm. um, rather and than thinking having that of, yell position. Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. <laughs> so um, a lot of what we do. It's kind of like a rub the tummy, pat the head kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We pull energy out of the neck by right. inviting them to, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, we invite them to like gently move the head left and right so they're not locking the neck. Um, we uh, invite them to find uh, the feeling of sort of softness in the throat, like you might yeah, be about to yawn or sneeze so that they're yeah. not constricting. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. the opposite end of that spectrum is we have to add energy lower yeah. down into the pelvic floor right. and abdominal complex so right breath energy yeah yeah so i'll ask them to like um pull just a little bit of weight onto their heels so that their hips are not like in front of them and the hips mm -hmm. are a little bit more underneath and they feel just a little bit more of that very gentle grounding activation of the pelvic floor and i'll invite them to feel that sort of suspension of the rib cage and invite them yeah. to sort of float the rib cage as they sing and so they're not squeezing so it's just like you take a little away here and you yes. add a little bit down there. Good, I'm doing so, it right. That's that's all I good. wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a slow process to rehabilitate the body. It takes a lot of diligence. And I was lucky enough to um I think it might have been four months after this, I'd quit my job. I didn't speak for two weeks, nothing helped. I had I had been hired at the beginning of that process to do like a uh, a caroling group and I had to quit that because I couldn't ever attend any of the rehearsals. So I was just lost and I decided to go back to school for singing so that I would never oh. injure myself again. And I ended up at PCC. Oh, and terrific. I was so lucky because at PCC I started studying with Gail Gordon who really sure. took me under her wing. She's a lovely, lovely woman. And within a couple of weeks of just learning what support was and how to do it, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, takes 10 minutes to explain and 10 years to master. And I fumbled for years, but sure. at least I had enough. The ache started slowly going away. Mm -hmm. And then what I did is I very deliberately used the way that I would breathe for singing and the way that I would think of my resonance for singing for speaking. Right. So I would speak and then I would take a really calm breath and notice that my neck was really soft and make sure I was really talking in the resonance and then take another breath. So I, I was a little weird for a bit, but I had to, like I kind of had to figure out how to do it on my own. Sure. I also met Don Brinegar, who was also very important I was just part gonna, of my- I was just gonna yeah, say, yeah, yeah Don. He, yeah. I, I studied with Don for a little bit too, and he was very, he, what a great pedagogue he is. 
Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, the word magician is thrown around a lot. And um, those two people were so fundamental in, in my singing. And sure. um, it was at PCC when I took one of those performance classes where it's like everybody in the music department is taking it. So you have like a clarinetist who has to go and perform. It's like a studio class. Sure, sure. And then, so I sang Te Vieni Non Tardar. Sure. Um, knew nothing about pronouncing Italian, but I was rolling my R's like crazy everywhere, um, not knowing that that's not a thing, but I really thought I was doing it really well. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and people after were like, oh, that was, your acting was good or, you know, and they really seemed to respond to it. And, and then I had, it was like an epiphany. It was like acting, classical music, which I'd always loved because we sang it in choir, opera. Yeah. And that was, that was it. That was my epiphany. We have and I the was same like 20. Story. It's so funny. Are you saying that? Yeah. I feel like we've talked about this. And I yeah. was like, how old were you? I was like maybe I was 23. 24. Yeah. Yeah. It was late. It was, uh, yeah, somewhere around 23. I was at Santa 24. Monica College. You were at Pasadena City College. I was at Santa mm -hmm. Monica College. Same thing yeah. happened. I got up to sing Granada. And at the end of my singing, you know, I didn't read any music. I didn't know what I was, I could barely uh -huh. even understand how to read music. Like if mm -hmm. it weren't for the printed words underneath the, the space, <laughs> you wouldn't know where I, you I are. I would know, I would know what I was yeah. looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was like my first clue into thinking, oh, it's just like reading a book. It's left to right. And then we go down. I mean, seriously, uh, like I, I didn't understand yeah. music at all. And, and then after I sang, you know, everybody was like, oh my God, you. You're really and good. I've been accepted to UCLA's creative writing program. So I was off to be a writer at UCLA. I and then I discovered know this that I could sing in the one in you. this class that I needed to transfer. I needed another couple yep. classes to transfer. And then yep. I thought, oh, writing. Did you end singing. up going to UCLA for voice? No, I, it's so funny. No, they they offered me a scholarship for creative writing, which I turned down in favor of studying music. And then three years later, after Santa Monica College, I applied to UCLA again and got a scholarship for singing and turned them down again. And they have not spoken to me since because I went to college. <laughs> <school. laughs> They're like, you can't fire me. I quit. <laughs> so, That's funny. Yeah, but, you know, singing teachers are it's like it's like um uh, they're like a therapist, you know, if you don't gel with the mm -hmm. faculty, the music faculty, and you don't get a good vibe from them and you're not on the same page or Absolutely. And I, I didn't I didn't get I mean, UCLA is a terrific school. I, it's one of the obviously one of the best schools around, but I really got such a great vibe from the teachers and the faculty at Cal State Fullerton. And so I just they didn't offer me a scholarship either. So I just I chose them. Yeah, I, really I ended liked, up going. To, I transferred to UCLA. And yeah. I did my undergrad, finished my undergrad there, but I, but I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And when my students ask, you know, because now I have seniors who graduate every year in my program, sure. and and when we talk about the ones that want to go on to study music, I always tell them the most important thing is who are you studying with, and how much stage time are you getting? I think more than anything else in a in a program. Yeah, and Fullerton, if, I was the, the program guy for can four be great. years. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you I get was the, the experience. I did all all the solos. And you did all, all the roles. stuff. Yeah, so yeah. that was really big. Did you study with Tim or who did you study with at UCLA? UCLA, my first year. Or Shigami? In kind of an open studio thing. No, no, Shigami was at USC. Oh, USC. Um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, and Cal State. Long Beach Northridge. 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 Yeah, maybe. Uh -huh. um, I studied my first year with Michael Dean, who was mm -hmm. a very kind man. And then the second year I studied with Vladimir Chernoff, who was also a very kind I man. I like Vladimir. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I got to sort of, uh, they had kind of like an open door po uh, studio policy, which I actually really That's liked. Nice. So I got yeah. to try on a couple different things. And then I went on to CCM and I studied with Barbara Hahn there. Mm -hmm. And um, I love Cincinnati. And I really, it's such a great town. 
Yeah, it really grew on me. You know, I, I was really attached to L.A. and I was really bummed about moving to the Midwest um, yeah. and, and sort of a small city. Um, but it's amazing how fast that time goes by. And I was going to go to New York. I was like, OK, this is what opera singers do. We go to New York and we blah, blah, blah. and then um, a film that I had done. 10 years before I graduated from my master's degree, this independent film, very quirky, black and white, space alien, 1950s picture. Um, it was a real hit. Um, well, could, could, <laughs> do you want to tell me the name or no? It's called <laughs> The Ghastly Love of Johnny X. It's yes. an amazing film. <laughs> so this film, we had shot for a week in like 2002. Um, or something like that, or maybe, yeah. And they had been trying to get the money to finish the film. And amazingly, they got the money. And I was going to go to Germany to do like a program in Weimar mm -hmm. after my, for that summer, after I finished grad school. And they were like, we've got the money, come back. And I was like, no, guys, I'm not acting anymore. I really want to do opera. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I wasn't playing hard to get. I really, truly was like, no, I'm moving on. And they kept calling me and and they're like we'll throw a little bit of money at you and, and so i i accidentally negotiated a, a decent enough fee that it was worth it to lose the fifteen hundred dollars that i had put down at weimar and i went back to la in june of uh, 2010 and shot a film and i was like i love this place it's like paradise here and i really and i was like but i was supposed to go to new york like what, what do i do like i can't go to la and then i just was like i can do whatever i want Sure. I'm 28 years old. I have my master's degree. Like if I want to live in Los Angeles, I can live in Los Angeles. I can teach here. I, I had already started teaching. And so I just packed up and I went back to Cincinnati, like packed up all my stuff, sold my piano, which was heartbreaking. But I came back to L.A. That's when you I know, started teaching like as a job. You know, I started teaching at ADA. And yeah. Yeah. AMDA. Excuse AMDA, me. Uh -huh, yeah. Yeah. Was Julian yeah. there? Julian Fielder, was he there at the time? Yes. <clears throat> yes, he was. Yeah, yeah like Julian. I used to sing <laughs> with right. him at the at LA Opera. Yeah. You know, That's it's funny right. when you're talking about this decision to go to come back to LA and, and not go to Germany and not go to New York. I have a couple of oh, got some action outside. Oh, oh yeah. Somebody's having a bad day. It's an ambulance. Um I I can look back at my life and see very clearly like two or three really important um crossroads yes and um is that is that true with this decision i mean can you look back at some things like very particular moments where the decision made all the difference yes I one mean, of them was starting to teach right which was an accident i was trying to think of how to make money i was starting to study voice and i wanted to teach not because I frankly had any particular interest in it, but I just thought it'd be a good way to make money as a singer. Mm -hmm. And I ran into a friend, a colleague, a sort of an acquaintance that I had met. I think I swear this was a, at a party Liz threw at her downtown loft. Yeah, yeah. Because she had gone to the American Academy in New York, actually. Right. I ran into this girl that I had been in school with and I said, how are you? What are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm teaching voice. And I didn't really remember her as a singer. Mm -hmm. I remember like she had a voice, but she wasn't like, I had had more musical training than yeah, her. So and I was she can like, do it, I can do it. Yes, exactly. I was like, how did you do this? She was like, oh, I just used the warm-up tapes that our teacher gave us while we were at school. And I was like, that was exactly the thought. You just have to give yourself permission. And that completely changed my life. I feel sorry for my first students that I experimented on, you know, um, while I was still doing my undergraduate degree. But 
teaching became very much half of my musical identity. You know, I still sure. and income, yeah, a, a very much my income, and yeah. and performing has always been, I feel, sort of my own primary identity and and my own personal sort of satisfaction and growth as an artist. But the teaching became more than just a way to make money. I felt like I was good at it, and I felt like I enjoyed it. Yeah, and. Um, we have the same trajectory. I've got to say, this is very strange. We, is it? We both yeah, we both start, started in junior college mm -hmm. from Cal State Fullerton. I went to Cincinnati um, and said- Wait, you went to, have yeah. we not had this discussion? Did you I study at CCM? I didn't study at CCM, but, but Cincinnati you went Opera to Cincinnati. hired me to <gasps> Yes, to that's right, yes. And I was there for eight months, <laughs> and then I went to <laughs> Dayton for a couple of months and sang there. And then um, a couple years ago, I mean, you've been at it a lot longer than I have as far as teaching, but you know, I think about three years ago, I get this call from Debbie Allen on my cell phone. Right. And she's right. like, uh, we need a voice teacher and you were recommended. Mm -hmm. um, do, you, do you teach voice? Are you interested? And I said, yes and yes. And the truth was no and yes. And I, I just learned how to do it really quickly. And when yes. you said, I, I really feel sorry for my first few students, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I oh, just, yeah. I just I mean, took what I, think, I knew after 10, 15 years of voice lessons and applied it, which turned yeah, out to be okay, I actually. I always think of that line in Ghostbusters um, when, um, he, when he says, Ray, if somebody asks you if you're a god, you say <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? I always think of that line because I feel like every opportunity I've ever had, I have not felt ready for Right. All of the teaching gigs that I got, you know, when I when I got this job at CS Arts to run the Vocal Arts Conservatory, I had never opened a school before. Right. I had never led a music department before. That was but even getting the job teaching at AMDA, I was 28 and I walked in the hall. I've been teaching for like six years privately, um, but I walked in the halls and I remember looking and I'm like, oh, crap, these are college students like who? Who the hell am I? And I got the job and then and then you just learn you just yeah. grow into it or when someone was like you want to sing that was my first role with pop Stephen Carr actually called me and was like hey we lost our fear to lead you do you want to sing and I was like yeah sure, sure. and I was like I can't uh -oh. I can't do this I can't do this role <laughs> yeah I mean every role I've ever sung has yeah. felt like that <laughs> yeah the very first role I sang was Don Jose of all things I didn't read it no lord <laughs> and after singing the whole role <laughs> and and I've said yes most most often, but I've also had to cancel a couple times. There was one where, uh, really? yeah, the one the one uh, there was a Wagner piece um, that I, I, yeah. I was asked to sing, and I said sure. And then I started looking at it, and I, I really and I thought, oh, I, no, I actually can't sing this. I can't do. No, this. I think no. And I, I had think to call it's them. yeah. Th there's an important line for sure, but I do feel. Um, I do feel like the hardest thing I ever did was filling in for this Paisiello Barbiere, which was kind of a, uh, it was like a kind of part of the outreach. It was part of the Figaro Unbound Festival when, when sure. Ghost of Versailles was happening and we were in that, yes. you were in Ghost of Versailles yeah, and I yeah, was in yeah, Ghost yeah. of Versailles. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, Josh Winograd called me out of the blue and was like, hey, you know, our soprano, our young artist, we think is sick and probably has to pull out of this. And the performance was in, I think the performance was two weeks from the day that he called me. Oh, God. So I had to learn 
I had to learn and memorize and stage the role simultaneously. So I was staging and it was the lead, it was like Rosina and I was staging and Conlon was conducting by the way, which was like an insane amount of pressure. Um, yeah. So I remember like, I would be up to like three in the morning trying to learn, just learn the notes sure. and memorize at the same time and learn the recits. And then the next morning I would be staging something that I had only seen for the first time the night before. And I remember being so exhausted and um, really feeling like this is not possible. This is, this is, I'm not maybe capable of this, but that was one of those, you say yes moments, right? Yes. Josh Winnegade calls you and says, you want to sing the lead and James Collins is conducting in a week. Sure. You're like, yes, yes, of course I want to so do how that. Did it I mean, how did it turn out? It turned out great. I remember, I mean, I wanted to write a book called how to learn, a, how to learn an opera in a week or a song by tomorrow, because I realized that memorization is my superpower. Right. Seriously, that's, that is my superpower. I just right. learned it really fast. And I think it's from memorizing lines when I was 10 years old, you get the sides, that's the script. Sure. And you have an audition the next day and you have to memorize it. So I just got into the habit of memorizing at a very young age. So I just memorize very quickly. I yeah, just learn music I, and memorize I mean, very, very quickly. I'll, I'll tell you, for me, for me, memorizing has to do with um, emotionalizing the, the, the text and making it personal and learning it quickly that way. Also, writing it down over and over really helps. What are your That's a great is, tool. What are your tricks? Um, the the first thing I do is the music, and I so I try to I try to create context, especially um, learning anything that is a little bit atonal or weird or 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 new. I'll look for any kind of repetition or structure, and if there's no structure or pattern to the rhythms or melodies, I'll just arbitrarily make it up. I'll be like, mm -hmm. this time it's a third, and the next time it's a fifth. Those mm -hmm. have nothing to do with each other, but this is what it is. Um, and then I sing it, um, I'll sing it down the octave so that I don't tire myself out. Sure. I'll make sure that I really have, I'll just break it down in little pieces. I'll make sure that the rhythm, I'm very comfortable with the rhythm, I'm comfortable with the language, everything in rhythm. And then you're gonna, you're not gonna like this answer, but it kind of memorizes itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, yeah. Uh, also the the muscle memory of the mouth. Like I, mm -hmm. if I'm mm -hmm. reading and, and learning that way, I always mouth the words. The mm, mouth kind mm -hmm. of learns it on yes. its own in some yeah. ways. Yeah. It's just like when you add um, staging or blocking to a piece of music, that physicalization helps to reinforce even the intervals, even the words, even the, the, the tune for sure. Uh, the, totally. It, it all kind of helps. And I think that's just from years. You know, I'm on my 16th year with LA Opera, and that just comes with totally. knowing that that's how it works, where we'll be a week away from curtain and everybody's panicking that we just don't know it. And then somehow, and then it, it always, always gets it there, always right? It always, gets there. always gets there. You know, the one thing I will say that I do is I have a little testing process, which once I think I'm sort of close to knowing it, I, I haven't officially memorized. I've just been learning it and and getting it into my voice and singing it, and then I will play a recording that I like while I'm doing something else, while I'm mm -hmm. going for a hike, while I'm washing the dishes, while I'm driving, and I just kind of go along in my head or sort of sotto voce. And then what I do is the moment I realize I don't know what's about to come next, I will stop it and rewind it and go back. So that's my little testing process. Right. So my my goal is to uh, be able to have my brain sort of cough forth the right line and the right melody when I'm not paying attention so that it's coming from my subconscious sort right. of, you know, 
automatic. Yes, you know, a cult. Yeah, somebody exactly. could put a gun yeah. to your head and you could sing the thing. Yeah, that's what I tell I my students. I feel like, I, I bet you're the same way, but I, I'm sometimes surprised. I have kind of like a reputation for knowing my music really well. In fact, like knowing other people's music, you know, if somebody drops a line, I'll know what their line is. Um, not on purpose, just because I just know the score really well. Um, and, you know, they'd be like, Catherine's like a robot or something like that. And I've always felt like I thought that was our job. Like I thought right. that was the primary requirement of the job is show up knowing <laughs> your music and right. sing it as best as you can. And I'm right. surprised how flexible that is for, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for <Yeah>. some performers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I yeah. just feel like as a soprano, you just, you can't. Especially. If you're like a great tenor or a, or a really charming baritone, you get a lot of latitude <laughs> on that. But sopranos, like we have to know our shit because I just think we feel so replaceable. Well, there know? are just so many more women in general that are interested yeah. in music as children i think i i don't know why i'm we're really sticklers with music in our house with especially with william i mean william takes two guitar lessons a week he takes a piano lesson a week he takes a music um like composition electronic um like garage band composition class that's and, so great and he's in the lacc he's in the la children's that's also. so great i think that's fun whether they ever want to do anything exactly. with it professionally and you know frankly probably as professional musicians God, we not. often hope not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so yeah i was just thinking about you know uh michael's son luke plays trumpet yeah. and uh and i was thinking about the twins coming the other night and thinking like i would want them to each pick an instrument like you can take piano lessons. You can yeah. play. Yeah, like it's just something. I want them to be able to speak that language and and to recognize beauty when they hear it. I agree. Yeah. The, the aesthetics. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about, I'm, we're going to jump forward now because I really do want to get to uh, your work as a music administrator and how, yeah. how you got into that. Because, you know, it's, it's a leap from acting God. and singing in high school to... Mm -hmm. pursuing acting as a young adult and then you know becoming a teacher and now you're like you're running a program how mm -hmm. how did that happen and what's that like and what are some yeah. of the challenges and what are the rewards that go along with that, that? was uh, another one of those crossroad moments uh -huh. that was so uh the fluke was a uh, sort of an acquaintance, a good friend of one of my friends at CCM. We were friends on Facebook. His name's Taryn Schaefer, and he's he started at um, OSHA, Orange County mm -hmm. School of the Arts. I think he was conducting their wind ensemble. Then he became Dean of Arts, and then he became, I believe, the, I'm going to get his title wrong, like Vice President of the Foundation, or, um, you know, very high up in the OSHA Foundation. So he mm -hmm. um, posted um, the director jobs, each conservatory has a director, you know, dance, instrumental music, um, classical voice was the mm -hmm. one that they posted for. So they were mm -hmm. starting this new school in Duarte in, they posted this in mid, uh, sort of early, like fall 2016. Michael and I were about to get married in December, 2016. And there was a job for director of instrumental music and a job for uh, director of classical voice. And we were like, Hey, why not? You know, sure. I mean, I had Michael had been teaching at USC for like 13 years or 11 years. And I had been teaching voice at AMDA for seven years, teaching privately 
and performing. And I started to get the feeling like I had, I don't know if you've had this, but this feeling like you're starting to weigh this, this lifestyle where your freedom is more important than anything. If I need to drop or reschedule or change my lessons because I have a role or because I'm going to fly to St. Louis and sing Stella and streetcar, like nothing is more important than that. The downside is there's no responsibility. There's no stability. First of all, there's no responsibility. And I was starting to feel like, you know, I was 35 and I was like, maybe like, what's my next role? I was feeling like, um, you know, the little bossy pants, 10 year old and me was wanting a voice. And I was thinking like, I, I want to be a leader in some way. And this opportunity just randomly presented itself. And Michael and I were like, Hey, this sounds cool. Um, and there were three rounds and Michael and I both made it to the final round. And we were like, Oh my God, like maybe we're going to get this long story short. I got the gig and he didn't. And uh, this was a week before our wedding. So that was a bit of an adjustment, like, oh, crap, like that, that almost worked out, but didn't quite. Um, delightfully, amazingly, you know, Michael this year just started as the chair of the music department at LOXA. So it's like yeah. we both found our place, which is so great. And I think it's it's even better, actually, that we're at different schools now because we each get like our own little fiefdom, you know? Five, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I got this gig as the director of classical voice. This was the role that Maria Lazarova had at the time. She was in my interview. She then became the Dean of Arts. And um, I knew nothing. I mean, I just knew nothing about running a school. But I did have strong ideas about how I wanted to train young young singers. You know, like you're around young singers enough. You've been through uh, a music program and you know what you wish you had. Sure. You know what worked and you know what you wish you had. I really wish that we'd had more acting training. I really felt passionate about helping um, middle school and high school age students become better musicians. I hate the reputation that singers have of being shitty musicians. I just hate it. Um, and I wanted to do something about that. And and I also wanted to be thoughtful about um, moving the training forward so we weren't sort of stuck in an old model, singing the same rep, uh, you know, stuck in the sort of treadmill of like the only path is you get the summer program and then you get the, the, then you're tapped to be like in the year long young artist program. It's like this, that wasn't my path. I wasn't lucky enough to be tapped. So um, I just kind of wanted to break that open. (laughs) Strangely, after the first round of auditions, the school hadn't even opened yet. I realized we were not going to get enough classical singers to fill this program. It just was a different, this is in Duarte, which is like 10 miles east of Pasadena. It's just a very different um, community, Yeah, community, different constituents, mm-hmm. different interests in the singers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suggested to the higher ups that we destroy the classical voice program and we call it the vocal arts program. And we, uh, the conservatory, Vocal Arts Conservatory. Actually, I have to give credit where credit is due. I was like, what should I call it? Michael was like, call it Vocal Arts. So that was Michael's idea for the name. <laughs> but <laughs> but I basically was like- He didn't get the like, job, but he named it. <laughs> he didn't name it. He did give me the idea for the name. But I basically was like, I need to make a program where we can sing any genre of music. Sure. And, um, and, and kind I of kind of struggled. In, sneak in the classical music and, mm-hmm. and the cracks. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like I, I struggle with that because I, I, you know, of course, 
um, first of all, I was like, well, I clearly, you know, if I want to do a classical voice program, well, I'm going to do the diction and I'm going to do art song. And, and it was just such a laid out path for me. And when we blew up the curriculum, when I say we, it's just me. I, I was just me by myself leading the conservatory at the beginning until I hired anybody. Um, I was like, I have no idea what the curriculum is now. What do I t teach students if they're only interested in ever singing pop music, but how can I convince them that they should care about learning about musicianship, diction, um, vocal technique, um, emotional commitment, stagecraft? Like, how do I convince them that they should care? And that became sort of like the central question of the conservatory. So our first year we had 31 students and maybe five faculty members. And now I have 15 people working for me and we have about a hundred students in our fourth year. And um, I just decided that choir would still be a central part of the curriculum that they would have choir twice a week they all have to take theory twice a week all the way up until the end of high school. Um, and then the rest of the curriculum kind of developed from there. I tried out a lot of stuff. I tried out a class where they got to create their own musical. We tried out various vocal styles classes where they try on different genres of singing. Um, I did an opera class, an operetta class, um, a, an Italian diction class, which sort of didn't fly. Um, but now I just have a straight up English diction class, which is, is working better. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> a lot of them were like, why are we studying Italian? <laughs> and it's hard. I feel like most of the work that I do at the beginning of any course is, is really trying to hook them into why this is valuable for them. But I really felt like I, if I could get this conservatory to work, we would be doing a real service to the music industry because we would be churning out a generation or generations of singers who are now going to go into commercial music, contemporary music, spoken word, whatever, mm -hmm. um, with an awareness of how music works and how singing works. The other thing I was really passionate about was demystifying vocal technique mm -hmm. um, because there's a it's a controversial topic, but a lot of people just teach what they were taught, but never studied it themselves. So they're just repeating phrases that their choir teacher said when they were 15 years old. And I really wanted to make sure that we were, as Richard Miller says, neither inventing acoustics nor physiology when we were right. teaching singing. I love that phrase so much. Um, and I asked for advice. I asked Gloria Gossi, the woman who taught me when I first started it. I asked Don Brinegar. I was like, what do I do, Don? And he said to me, um, number one, make sure that every student feels successful every day. That's what he said to me. And then he also said, and because happy students will go home and tell parents and happy parents will tell administrators. Right. <laughs> and then right. you'll get to keep your job. <laughs> right. We're in the same boat. We're in the yeah, same yeah, boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for its own sake, I think about that a lot, that every student mm -hmm. gets to feel successful every day. The yeah, other I always perk, ask. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yes. No. Oh, I was just going to say the other perk of this program was that I got to start directing. I got to start. I've written like six shows. So I would create a class like operetta and then I would just cast the repertoire to the singers and then create a story. So we did one called the Operetta Radio Hour, which was like a 1940s radio drama in which right. singing different operetta pieces. So 
I got to direct opera workshops, operetta, a folk song show. Last year, we did a full production of Side by Side by Sondheim. And, and I finally got to start directing, which I really enjoyed and really gave me a taste for like, hmm, what opera program at a college can I run in 10 years, you know? And, sure. and how can I how can I be the next Peter Cazares, yeah. <laughs> basically? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I really enjoy that as well. So yeah. that's been great growth for me as well. That's terrific. I was going what what I was going to say. Uh, what was that? Um, I have the same discussion with my students too. Um, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. not only vocal technique. Um, I, I think vocal technique is almost secondary when kids are so young and their chords aren't. Um, my kids are younger than yours. Um, oh yeah, their chords aren't you know fully formed. What what I talk about mostly is the very first question I ask is why why do we sing? Mm. Why sing? Why sing mm -hmm. to convey an idea at all? What is what mm -hmm. is singing? What's the purpose of singing? And it's uh, my conclusion has always been that music alone is not sufficient and words alone are not sufficient. And that when you use both simultaneously, the profundity that you can express is greater than the sum of its parts. I love and, that. And it's it's. It it's it's not possible to communicate in in such a deep way without the marriage of those two things. And there's a reason that it exists. Why does singing exist at all? It's to I share ideas that. that we can't do with music or words alone. It is somehow the human voice vibrating in singing as opposed to just speaking is some sort of direct conduit to the human psyche you the know condition it, and yes, yes yes it it really is more um more moving than anything else i've experienced i re i remember and i'm particularly drawn to acoustic i mean it's great with it's amplified but hearing the unamplified human voice in just a proper acoustical setting i will never forget hearing don upshaw sing Oswaldo Golikov's three songs for Sopranos and Orchestra, which I ended up performing with Michael in the six months after we met, which was amazing with his orchestra at USC. She sang it um, at the at Disney Hall. I was singing, this was in 2007, I think. I was sitting in the very last row of the last balcony directly in front of her. She's unamplified. And I felt the vibration of her voice in my chest. And I will never forget that feeling. And that's when I was like, oh, a person sings and they bump a molecule and that molecule bumps another air molecule and it hits, it it actually touches you physically. There is a physical connection that happens with the voice in a That's room. Right. And I and, just and never forgot that. And then it's gone. Yeah, right, forever. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, the, that's yeah. the magical thing about it. It's like you, we, that's one you of can the most talk moving. to me. Yeah, you can yeah. talk to me about it right now, all these years later, and it's like you're there. But this, mm -hmm. but that moment only really lasts. The the second you think about it, it's gone. The mm -hmm. moment you notice it, it's already gone. It's that's transient. A beautiful yes. Thing. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. About oh, I mean, theater. you could you can really wax poetic about the sort of metaphysics of singing and music, and and that I think there is a transcendent experience that happens yes. in an audience and i and i don't mean this in any religious context i just mean you are crossing over into another 
spectrum of human experience and there's something about music and i feel and i think you do too because this is why we do it particularly about singing um the human voice you know yes it is the the purest way to get there Oof. yes this is how i motivate students even young students that don't have That's the great. emotional currency to really do it authentically uh, in at yeah. this point in their lives you know i'm talking about 10 12 13 year old girls mm -hmm, and boys mm -hmm. um but if I can get them at, well, when I first started singing, <laughs> when I first started uh, teaching, my, my only goal was to not make them worse. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really solid goal. <laughs> Don't ruin them. Don't do anything that makes them worse than when they started. So I'm not sure I've ever articulated that for myself, but I, I think I really resonate with that when I started teaching, you yeah. know, like just don't mess anything don't screw up. screw it up, yeah. First, so, do no harm, Exactly, you know? exactly. Yes. So if I can just instill in them a wonder or a love for the act of singing or for music in general or for the voice, I feel like I've been successful for an 11 year old. Um, totally. Just to, just to not turn them off from music education, which by the time you get to college is very easy to do when you start deconstructing the things that we're talking about, these magical transcendent um, parts that make up the whole of music. And as soon as you start picking those apart and saying, oh, it's the open fifths and the French horns that make me feel that mm -hmm. way in Copeland, mm -hmm. suddenly you don't see the, the prairie in your mind anymore. You just see notes and understand how they're manipul manipulating you almost like when you take a screenwriting class and the three X structure and you build tension and oh well that's how that happens it kind of it can spoil things a little bit um, do you feel like that happens for you i mean it's impossible sometimes to watch performances without having that sort of evaluative part of the brain going on but do you feel that even when you see a, a masterful performance are you able to turn that off and just receive I, I actually when it's do done well, I do the opposite. I focus on turning it off. It's almost like editing in a film or TV show. If you notice the editing, there's a problem. Editing follows mm -hmm. the way that we blink our eyes and it's the timing of the blink and it's the timing of the way that our brain works naturally and shifting focus. When, when a bad editor betrays that, it's impossible not to see, even if you're untrained in that. And music is the same way. If somebody's singing out of tune, they're singing out of tune. There's just no, there's no enjoying that, whether mm -hmm. you're a trained musician or not. So I try to just put myself with the common, I don't want to say common man. That's just so like trite, but oh, I try, oh I try not to be that guy. I try to just be a person that, that is looking for something of meaning mm -hmm. that will affect my day or my train of thought or the way that I see the world, I, I feel like that's what art is supposed to do is raise questions and answer them. And I look for that. That's good. I feel like I really struggle to turn off that sort of evaluative, even when Analysis. I'm uh -huh. loving. Yes, even when I'm loving something, um, I still want to understand how it was put together so that I can use that or, or learn from that. I mean, I really do. I just marvel, but it doesn't stop me from enjoying it. But the other thing that I think about with my students, which surprised me the most, because I had only ever taught adults in college until I got, I had no secondary school experience before ever. 
and I didn't um I didn't expect to like my students as people as much as I do. I just love them. They're so, and I mean, I'm talking about like a group of a hundred kids and each one of them is different, but, uh, but I love seeing them develop. I love seeing them grow and probably maybe only 10 or 15% of them want to go on and do music. Right. So what is the value then of teaching, teaching all of them as if they're going to be professional musicians which is just my value system and i can't do any less than when you say you want to learn singing i'm going to take you seriously right whether you want to do it for a living or not so then what i learned and what i believe is that studying music learning how to express and connect with your emotions, learning how to communicate, learning how to authentically represent the human experience through song and singing and performance, regardless of the repertoire, truly any repertoire, I just think makes you an empathetic Yes, a better person. I just think it makes you a better person. I really, really believe that. And that's what I focus on with my students. We spend a lot of time, a lot of time talking about expression, communication, authenticity. It's, I mean, yes, there's there's technical stuff, but more of my time is spent really, you know, in our coaching classes. I'm I'm really just trying to help them be comfortable in their own skin and feel safe to express who they are through music, right. and yeah. then give them the tools to do that as well as they can musically. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think the capacity to to recognize and recreate beauty in your life mm. is something that is fundamental to being a whole person in a civilized society that uh, has everything at its disposal. Like you can choose to 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 watch Bobby McFerrin perform on stage and get a whole audience to to sing along, or you can choose to to watch you know snipers in action on youtube it's what what we choose like what we choose to watch is what we mm-hmm. learn to appreciate i think as a young as young people and that's kind of my one of my big goals is to encourage people to to seek out recognize and make beauty in, in the world you know for themselves i love that and you know, said that I feel that uh, it's hard to come up with an argument for it. And I'm sure there are people who could write essays about it. And I don't feel equipped, but I do feel very strongly that aesthetic has inherent value, just inherently. Sure. And, and there's just nothing that's going to persuade me otherwise. I agree. You know, I agree. <laughs> so, so tell me what's next for you as far as uh, performing and teaching and the program? What, what are you guys up to in school? How are you dealing with the whole online thing? Are there productions to be had? What's, what's, yeah, what's well, next? We've been, we've been online for almost a year now. Sure. It will be a year come March. So we've been entirely online. Um, it's, as you probably know, incredibly hard to teach music over Zoom. Um, simultaneous choir rehearsals or ensemble rehearsals are impossible. Sure. So our teachers have had to be very creative and I'm insanely grateful and deeply indebted to the dedication and quality. My teachers are so brilliant. They're so educated. I think I have five doctors teaching for me in a high school. I mean, these guys are so great. They're so committed. They love our students so much and they give so much more than they can ever be compensated for as most teachers do. Sure. Um, 
they um so we really had to pivot and and what i told my faculty this whole year is that our our goal really is shifting and it it can't be about how much content we're cramming down their throats it can't we have to really back off how much we're trying to teach them and um my goal my phrase this year is to give our students a meaningful experience of music through online learning and that's it they have to come through this year still loving music that's which it. is hard because they're tired they're so tired of being on zoom you know rehearsing a part and recording something alone in your bathroom to see it you know two months later in a virtual choir performance is not gratifying so i just want the kids to still love music and still feel like they had a meaningful experience this year and we've been able to do some really amazing work in our coaching classes even online i see growth you know it's a weird experience i have students that i've never except for when they came and sang for me when they first applied for the school a year ago that i have never seen in person right because Crazy. they're new to the program and they've never got to meet each other in that community those, yeah. Yes, right? And mm -hmm. that community that we built, it was so beautiful. Our conservatory was so lovely. It was not competitive. It was not catty. It was so supportive and wonderful. And it was such a deliberate culture that we created. And it's so hard for these kids to sing in a choir and not get to experience that with each other. Um, one of the things, we did some virtual choir performances. One of the things that we did that I was particularly proud of was a, a show called the MTV Radio Hour, which I directed and produced last uh, semester, which was sort of like a basically a half hour review of um, 80s music videos. Um, so we just, I think we had 16 performers, 17 because we had a saxophonist play the uh, Careless Whisper melody, which was really cool. <laughs> um, all students and they did, you know, they did Billy Joel, they did David Bowie, they did Whitney Houston, they did Annie Lennox. And we we set up COVID protocols and we had the kids come in one at a time and record individually all of their songs. They recorded all their backup vocals at home. I had a great audio mixer who mixed it. And then we had a separate day of shooting with COVID protocols. We had two rooms running simultaneously it was 32 hours of filming done in two days simultaneously two rooms running saturday wow. and sunday and we scheduled these kids in 20 minute blocks and they had to shoot all by themselves and some kids were in six different videos right they're singing a lead and verse in two and then back up in three so they'd have a costume change i mean it was an enormous amount of work i got to direct my first film production which was really cool we had two dps and then I edited this beast myself on Final Cut Pro, which took me two months to assemble all of this, eh, about six weeks. And I was really proud of it. It was a half hour show. Um, I learned to edit on Final Cut Pro at the beginning of the pandemic when I started doing, I knew that I was going to have to do virtual choir stuff. And I'm like, this is going to cost us thousands of dollars. I like filmmaking, obviously, from you know, being a child on set. I'm like, I feel like I could have an eye for this. I'm going to do this. And then I ended up doing this eight episode Shakespeare Sing series for um, LA Opera Connects. And I perfected, right. not, not not perfected, uh, improved my editing skills to be, I would say, uh, you know, a talented intermediate and shot that whole series. Um, so that was kind of my pandemic project was learning how to edit and film stuff. And sure. that was really fun. I was, you know, I got to explore that side of myself. Um, editing is like the most satisfying tedium 
you could possibly have. I, I, I think agree. I think you do some editing, you know. I do. Yeah. 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 It's very satisfying and very, very tedious. Very tedious. Um, yeah. <laughs> very tedious. You need a good pillow to sit on for that kind of work. And yes, and a large screen, uh, yes. doing it on a laptop for the first couple of days. I literally started to have rings in my vision. And then Michael was like, we're, we're getting you a monitor because it was just, yeah, it was really bad. Yeah. Um, so I felt, I felt really proud of that. I, um, you know, for our conservatory, like we have a curriculum meeting on Friday. Every year we sort of look at what we're going to do and what we want to adapt. Um, this year in particular, uh, my goal and my sort of um, the marching orders that I sort of set forward to all the faculty was really to diversify our curriculum to make sure that the musical examples, the repertoire, the artists that we use as examples um, and our subject matters that we study were not all from the same perspective right. and not from the same cultural, ethnic, racial um, linguistic background. And so we've got some really cool classes this year. We, we created a class, a woman who, uh, named Olufemi Gonzalez, who teaches for us. She's a brilliant woman and she created a class, um, called resilience in song, which studies, um, the African-American experience through music and sort of the idols that have populated that repertoire and that story. Um, we have a teacher teaching a really incredible world music class. We have a teacher doing an opera workshop class that's exclusively studying operas that are outside of the canon, focusing on female, non-binary, BIPOC, just any non-conforming or non-white like white male <laughs> um, opera composer. So I think it's really great to explore that. As much as I love the canon, um, the canon is covered. Um, and our students are also asking for this. They, they are so ahead of where we are, you know, sure. in our thirties and forties, they're so, um, I don't want to use the term woke, but they are awakened, you know? Um, and, and I feel like we really need to be listening and we need to be on the right side of history and the right side of of the art form in terms of sure. how we're moving it forward. So that's kind of our project this year. And for next year, I don't have the answer to that yet because I'm going to be talking to my faculty. We're going to figure it out. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, frankly, the, the, the big project is I'm having twins in July and like, that will be my, <laughs> that will be my project. Um, I was going to sing um, Susanna for Pops. Susanna, last November, I was thrilled about it. And then, of course, the pandemic happened and that was yeah. canceled. I was really, really, really looking forward to that one. And I was very sad that that was canceled. I was, that was like one of those like actory roles, you know, where you really dig in. Um, so maybe, you know, sometime yeah. in the future, that, I feel that, that opportunity about, will come I mean, back around. I, I feel that way about Orchestra of Los Angeles. So, you know, we had, we had oh, the, uh, the gala. Know. Uh, you know, all the books. We took our first gift, uh, took yep. the first donation, and then mm -hmm. the whole thing came to a grinding halt. So maybe we'll get that back up next year. We'll, we'll see. I think it will. I, I really think it will. And I think uh, one thing that I'm glad about with Orchestra LA is that um, I'm actually glad that we didn't do our like soft open launch and then have everything shut down That's because right. we just would have, it would have been more devastating to, to really like get it up and running. But um, 
I know that that has a, a future because it's such a special, unique, and important and beautiful thing. And I know that it's gonna, I know that it's gonna happen. I, I do too. Yeah. 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 Anything so else? Basically. Anything um, else you want to say before we wrap up? What do we want to say? Um, I'm just so honored to chat with you. It's it's oh, so it's great to catch up. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I just think life is so astonishing sometimes because you just I know it sounds silly, but you just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And sometimes it's terrible, like the pandemic, like nobody expected that, you know, sure. but other times, you know, I've had I've had times when I was like, oh, I'm never going to sing again. And then I get invited to sing somewhere awesome or, um, you know, thinking we were going to have kids and then getting sort of delayed for some health stuff that came up. And then we're like, OK, let's just try again. And then it was freaking twins. And yep. like, you just can't <laughs> you just can't predict what's going to happen. Or Michael getting this chair of the music department right. at LOXA during the pandemic, right. you know, this incredible position. And he's. I'm I'm just so insanely proud of him. So I kind of feel like we're both finding our place right now in LA and 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 then and I kind of want to I feel like I with the job that I have now I grew into the next phase of who I was sure. going to be the sort of leadership thing. And I'm really interested to see like in 10 years what is what does it look like what that looks like yeah yeah yeah, I think this, yeah this, like what's the next phase of that well this last year for the the pandemic has taught me a couple things um number one that I, that, well i i like country music which i never <laughs> liked before <laughs> that was so not what i was expecting you to yeah, say yeah okay. I, lear I learned that which is very not all country music but particularly john prine which i didn't know anything about until he sadly passed away earlier last year and I got to listening to John Prine's music and really fell in love with that kind of folk, bluegrass, country music. And then the other thing yeah. that I've really learned, and this is an axiom that I think I'll carry forward from, from the pandemic on through the rest of my life. And that it's a very simple phrase. And that is that tough times don't last, but tough people do. Oh, and that's, that's, uh, that's, that's a good. ray of hope, I think. When I wake up feeling a little bit blue, I just think of that. You know, tough times don't last, but tough people do. And that's important you to know, remember. I love that because I, I've i only, uh, the thing that I kind of been holding on to is only about the first half of that. When I when I feel like something's struggling or, or even something silly like, you know, being pregnant and feeling like, oh, that's a weird pain. Is that going to last for the next right. six months? I just say to myself, everything passes, actually. Everything passes. But I like yours because I like the second half of that. Because, yeah, yeah like everything passes, even the horrible stuff. And if you can persist, you don't know what wonderful things are happening until unless you stick around for it. You that's know, that's yeah, it. and that's kind of where I feel we are right now. It, I mean, I think of the. I'll I'll leave you with this: The Simpsons. You know this this um, saxophone episode. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the episode where <laughs> Mr. Burns has um, hundreds of monkeys on typewriters oh. <laughs> trying to, uh, to, you know, if they just keep typing at random, they'll come up with like the next great American novel. And he looks at one of the pieces of paper that the monkey's typing and he says, it was the best of times. It was the bluest of times, the stupid <laughs> monkeys. And that's just kind of what I, I feel like right now 
in my life with what's happening with us, um, it is the best of times and it is the blurst of times. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. Catherine, it's been so <laughs> great catching up with you. Thanks for spending Aww. so much time with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. A big thank you to Catherine Powers for that terrific chat. I always uh, like being with Catherine, and hopefully sometime in the next few months, we'll be able to raise a glass together in our backyard once again. Really Thanks for listening. Like be today. kind. Like do good work. And, and until next time. Genius. Get on to my show.